Australia in four, the United States in five. Off, McKenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in six, then to the yellow lane, Henry. Queen start, Newell's got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce. For short of Germany was away well. They'll go to the wall all together, pick that one. Bloomer in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Amenya. What a shot, Peterson stumps her authority on another 200 breaststroke. Now Henry is starting to come at her. Henry's throwing Linden down. Linden and Henry. Henry and Linden. They hit it. Jody Henry of Australia shading. Jenny Thompson has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956. Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last leg. Jody Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be yes! victory. <laughs> everyone and welcome once again to the Shannon Rollison podcast for another week. We have a very special guest with us today. Uh, he is the head performance coach at Sterling University, uh, University of Sterling, I should say. Apologies, mate. Uh, coach of the most successful t- um, GB athlete from an Olympic Games. Um, and Shannon's about to have a chat with him and go through all of his accomplishments as well. Mr. Stephen Tigg, very special guest and uh, obviously joining us again for another week. The star of the show, the star of the podcast, Stephen, Mr. Shannon Rollison, a man you know very well. So, boys and listeners, I'm going to lay out here and uh, let the boys catch up and, and have a good chat and uh, just enjoy the chat myself. So, welcome, boys. Welcome to the podcast. Shannon, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Robbie. How are you? Thanks, yeah. Stephen, for joining. No problem. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. No, it's good. What's the weather like there today? pretty standard to be fair it's overcast uh and chilly uh, cold for you guys but chilly for us it's nine degrees so still okay. got the shorts on to, to get in and out of work but they never and, they never go, they never go off so <laughs> <laughs> and you just had the uh university uh, the edinburgh swim international was that last weekend yeah yeah we're there at the weekend so it's always our uh final external competition before our trials and it's always the way it works out every season so it's interesting to see uh, where the guys are at in comparison to previous years and also just where all the other programs are at there's there's always that thing of some people being a little bit more prepared at that point of the season than others and other people holding off so you can't ever read too much into it um, and we find it's more a meet about encouraging them to stay focused on the process and sometimes a little bit more of a psychological support meet just to you know pick them up because they might feel that they're a little bit further away than they want to be. Or um, So it's a good competition and it was really, really well attended this year with a lot of the Spanish contingent over. So Sean Kelly was there, yeah, um, the Spanish team, and, and that was great. So, you know, it's good to be able to just um, have a really high level of competition rather than having to go overseas it means we don't have to miss any training whatsoever which is brilliant from my point of view yeah yeah the beast from the yeah. east turn up did they say that again the beast from the east didn't turn up did they this year no but we were we were worried about that because it did uh, we did have a few uh, a few storms earlier so no, the beast from the east certainly didn't turn up. That, uh, yeah. that made it even extra interesting. <laughs> that was 2018. You know, gave, first first time I've ever had to walk. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like walking through sand as well. Yeah. We were referencing it when we were walking up. Yeah. Made that walk up the hill a lot tougher. <laughs> but it was good. So released yet. So it'll probably come in May. Yeah. Hey, I was talking to Sean Kelly. Uh oh. It was the the weekend before we had our New South Wales Open and uh, he was chasing a few phone numbers and I was chatting to him on WhatsApp and uh and then about four or five days later, Ben Titley gets announced that he's joining him in Spain. Yeah, it's a good, good appointment. That I spoke to Sean um, at the weekend. He said it all happened very quickly. So, uh, you know, they're building something pretty pretty good over there. So, yeah. um, you know, it'd be interesting to see their progression, particularly over the next six years through to LA, um, yeah. how they can capitalise on that expertise. So, uh, exciting times. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for everyone out there, um, yeah, Duncan Scott, and I, I want to go through you know the background, which I, I found really interesting when I first met you in 2014. Uh, and I think Duncan, he, I think he was like Youth Swimmer of the Year or something at the Scottish Swimming Awards. Um, so we'll dive into that a little bit later. But for uh, I had a quick look at his results from 2016 onwards and um, – and yeah, I think he was only about 17 in 2016. Would that be correct? Yeah, 16, 17. So he turned 17 that year in 2014. Yeah. And he was fifth at the uh, in Rio uh, in the men's 100 freestyle. Uh, yeah. Won two silver medals. 2017 at Worlds, won a gold and a silver in relays. 2018, Commonwealth champion, the 100 freestyle. Four bronze medals. And a silver in, uh, I think they were relays and a silver in the 200 AM. Uh, yeah. Then he went over Europeans. I can't remember if they were, I think they were after Commonwealth Games and he won a silver in the 100 free, gold, the 200 free, two gold in relays. And then in 2019, um, won gold in a relay and swam the second fastest time ever uh, in the split, in a 100 freestyle split, 46 1 4. And fastest ever textile, yeah. um, which was you know immensely impressive. I actually remember watching that race on TV, and he just swimming. He was like one point one seconds behind or something. So, and then in Tokyo, he went on to, as Robbie mentioned, uh, won the most amount of medals at any one Olympics, four in total: silver in the turn of free, silver in the turn of AM, uh, and two medals in relays with gold. I think in the men's four by two. Yeah. The first question that comes to mind is, what are you going to train him for? No. <laughs> yes, no. I mean, uh, I was looking at it and, uh, yeah, he, he's had a, a, a fantastic career and he's obviously, I mean, at the Edinburgh International, he went 420 for the 400 AM and obviously you yeah. don't train for that. Um, he went, went 415. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, was his previous best 420? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. To be, to be honest, um, we do we do train around the four hundred IM a lot, particularly yeah. because he's, he's multi-eventing, and it was the event that he focused on most as a kid. Um, at European Youth Olympics in twenty fourteen, he was second, um, and he won the two hundred IM. What happened was because he swam so many events. When we went back to the junior competition the year after, it, it didn't really fit with some of the relay priorities. So he, he kind of dropped it. And then, 
you know, he, he evolved into a relay swimmer to make senior teams and it, it was an event that got dropped. Very, yeah. very similar to the 200 IM. Because if you look at what he was going in 2016, 159 at the trials compared to what he was doing in other events, it didn't seem like he would be that competitive. Uh, but he always focuses his training and we always use medley as a tool to train for particularly the 200 freestyle. Yeah. Um, and it adds that variety for him that, um, you know, means we can lay off certain things or play around with training sessions. Um, and from an endurance point of view, it's a real strength of his. Um, so this season he is going to prepare for the 400 medley. Um, we're going to explore that a little bit more. Um, he's used it short course as an excellent tool yeah. um, for his conditioning. And we're just interested to see. I always told him when he was younger that when he broke 410, he could retire from the event. And he's still not broke 410, so he's not allowed to retire from it, <laughs> from it yet. But um, he's pre-selected for the World Championships and the Commonwealth Games. So our trials is a free hit. Yeah. Um, and we've spoken about, well, if we don't really want to come down too much taper-wise for the trials because we don't have to, um, because we'll have Worlds and then we'll have the, the Commonwealth Games, then uh, let's just use it as a, as a way of seeing how far he can, he can go and then assess whether or not it's worthwhile pursuing it through to the Commonwealth Games um, because it's something different. And when you're looking at that longevity of an athlete, I think it is really important to just take a step away from one event and go somewhere else if you can. Not all of them are capable of doing it. Um, and then going back in, um, you know, because he wants to swim through to 2028 as a minimum. Yeah. Potentially through to 2032. So there's a lot of time to, to go back into exploring, particularly some of the shorter events, which is where he may go, you know, as he, as he matures and um, develops a little bit further and we can probably spend a little bit more time focusing on different areas of training, uh, particularly for the 100 free, because I see there's, there's always a lot of noise about you know, whether or not you should focus on that and you should do it. And you know, that's conversations that we have a lot. Um, and they're never that easy a conversation when you've got somebody who yeah, is as competitive in this one as he is in that one. And okay, so where do you put your, your focus? And yeah, um, we, we try and do it based on what we think is the best fit for where he's at physically and mentally. And uh, not so much about what the rest of the world or the competition is, it's more about how far do you think you can go in this event? Um, so the, the longer events, there's, a lot, there's a lot of areas we think uh, you can go a lot further then come down the events. And was that a, a tough decision for uh, Tokyo, the dropping the 100 free? Yeah, but it was a decision that we've probably been trying to make since Tokyo, um, and particularly around about 2018. Uh, 200 medley was a, was a good option at the Commonwealth Games. We went 157. We tried it at Europeans and he got put out in the heats because of the two per nation. Um, and then the next year at the World Championships, we dropped 100 free because we thought that was one year out and we had to explore the 200 IM at a, a serious international level before seeing just how far off or not he really was. Yeah. Um, you know, and that gave us a good opportunity there to think, okay, we've got a schedule for Tokyo, which did originally include the 100 free. But then we looked at the, the, the event itself. It was the Olympic Games, that type of multi-event, and was, was really challenging. And when we presented the question of, 
you could swim the 100 free final, go 47.5 and come fourth. Then you've got the 200 IM semi-final 25 minutes later. It's going to be, you could go out. Yeah. So instead of having, you end up with nothing. So it was that question of, are, you just, are we just being greedy here? Mm. And we thought, yeah, let's prioritise one. And um, after the trials, when he went 155, we thought, right, let's go, let's go 200 IM and let's take the 100 free out because it's just becoming a distraction. We'll focus purely on the 200 metre events and the relays. And it, and it gave a real clarity as to what the objectives were. And it meant that, you know, through that final phase from trials to games, we could really just focus on what the, the 200 metre events required, um, which was nice because it was the first season we'd ever really been able to do it. And um, particularly yeah. with a final preparation, you know, you've got the 100 free, you have to bring the volume down more. You know, if you've got the 200, you want to try and keep it up a little bit. Some of the sets that you do will be constructed differently because you want to put some hundred work in there for technical purposes. The, uh, I always felt that the 200 is the most sprint event of the 200s. Um, and coaching, when I was coaching Alice, she had the 50 free, the, she could have gone 100 fly, um, 100 free, and the 200 I am. Um, and I remember, uh, yeah, everyone said her 200 free, and she was like 159, but it was just different, the 200 free and the 200 I am. And I think, you know, speed-wise, it, it lends itself closer to the 100-metre events because you're changing strokes and stuff. Um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think I think Tony said. I think it depends on the athlete as well. Um, and one of the things we found that's helped Duncan's medley is actually his capacity for speed on all the strokes. So, for a couple of seasons, we spent twenty fourteen. We spent a couple of years probably looking more at trying to swim good two hundred breaststrokes that could reflect what would happen in the 200 IM. And that was more a, an anaerobic power, aerobic power type of exercise. Then actually when we were in Australia in 2018, we thought, right, why not just try and swim faster at breaststroke? Because he's not a glider. He doesn't, mm. he's, he's breaststroke leg kick. He can't break 40 seconds for a 50 short course for breaststroke kick, which isn't very good. So he's tempo. And his physiology lends himself to being able to rate incredibly highly for prolonged periods of time. And that's, that's a real strength of his, his conditioning. Um, so we started to explore the 50 breaststroke a little bit more, which yeah. was an easier buy-in for him yeah. because it was shorter. So we started looking more at the top end rate and working our way back. And a really important thing for him through a competition because he can start on freestyle and five days of freestyle racing and you don't get a chance to really practice any breaststroke work is just putting in some fast 50s of breaststroke, usually the night before he'll do the medley um, or in the warm-up. And that would be like a push 50 with an over rate. Yeah. Um, because if you look at his rate in the final at the Olympic Games, it was 47 to 50 on the breaststroke leg of the 200 IM. And he went 33-1. Yeah. I think he was the second fastest split. Um, yeah, it's hard. So to change. He's thinking, yeah, because he thought he always thought he was rubbish at breaststroke and we get to that breaststroke leg and he'd just be expecting everybody to come around them and get away from them. And there's a, a mental block there. Um, I think that's changed now. So, but that took a little bit of time and learning on our part of just exploring 
you know, because we had some great 200 breaststrokers with Ross Murdoch and yeah. Craig Benson program. And we thought I spend a bit of time training with them on that. Um, but then we just, we shifted away from it a little bit. And we do a lot of his uh, fly is just speed and anaerobic capacity work. Backstroke, speed and anaerobic capacity work. Breaststroke, just speed and power. And then freestyle, obviously we do a, a lot of different things. But, um, you know, we learned with him that you, know, you can rest them quite a lot, even for a two and a three, because they're both anaerobic power events. Mm. You know, that's the way we, we obviously train with the polarization is we either swim slow or we swim fast, but we will still do some good 55, 60K weeks um, on that. So I think they, 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 they fit pretty well. Um, I've always thought for the, you know, the 100 free, it's probably more a 200 freestyle short course that you want to be pretty good at. Um, and yeah. for the 200 free, it's probably the 400 free or the 400 medley long course that you want to be, you know, pretty good at. And that's why we've used those events in the short course season quite a lot. But it's, I love the tournament medley. It's, it's a great event. And yeah. the good thing about it is you can do it and you're like, wow, there's an area that we can actually get better at. Because it's four strokes, the transition turns, you're like, well, we can actually really improve that. And that's what we've looked at after Tokyo is there's actually a lot of areas that, that we can improve to get down to, you know, the into the 54 territory. And, you know, the, the 203 was, was maybe a slight underperformance at the games, which is disappointing. Um, but still the best time in an Olympic final. So you, you can't be too disheartened by it. Yeah, you know the old saying, I was thinking last night, um, you know, the, the, the saying we've all heard, um, no one remembers second. I, I couldn't name the guy who beat him. <laughs> I only remember Duncan coming second. <laughs> no disrespect to uh, Thomas Dean, but I had to look it up. So. Yeah, um, He's good. He's very, very talented swimmer. I've, you know, I've uh, seen Tom come in for a good few years. We've been up at altitude with him, and you know, uh, the Steve Redgrave of the swimming pool, I would say, is a phenomenal uh, athlete. Yeah. Just in terms of his size, and you know, you'd imagine that his physiology is just off the chart. Um, he's a really big lad, and you know, I've watched, watched him do sets, and you think, wow, <laughs> that, that's dangerous. So uh, he's a really good lad, Tom. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mentioned earlier, you know, the first time I met yourself and Ben, Ben Higson, who's um, moving to Perth, he must have enjoyed those swim camps out there, right? Eh? I absolutely. I think it was more the, the, uh, the beaches and the seafront. <laughs> Cuttersley Beach. Yeah, Scarborough, Fremantle, all of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I remember uh, having a good chat with you guys out at the program and uh, and then at the Swimming Awards that night, can't remember who was telling me the story with yourself and, and Duncan, how it all kicked off. And I think from memory you were, like, sending him programs and coaching him from a distance. Um, can you take us, people who are listening, just take us through the sort of journey from when you started with him in those early years and what it looked like? Yeah, I mean, I had literally just started coaching um, and it was 2005. Um, and I think it was on my second or third week of just helping out at the local club, which was Aloha, which is uh, where I live now. Um, and a few kids turned up for a trial because they just moved from Glasgow. And uh, one was Duncan and one was his sister. So we gave them the little trial. You just do basic exercises. Duncan was seven, 
just before his eighth birthday and it was like okay let's see a few floats just to see how you you sit in the water and you know then we got them doing some kicking see what the leg speed was like a little bit of swimming and I just thought this kid's actually really really good I mean he could kick faster than he could swim at that point um because he was quite spidery um and his breaststroke arms sent him forward his breaststroke legs sent him backwards so he just kind of stayed on the spot when he did breaststroke um but yeah then after that we, we spoke to the head coach and we thought okay they'll both probably fit into my little group which was a junior group of seven to ten year olds um, and they trained once a week twice a week um, and that's where it started and I, I was new to coaching so I was very naive you know didn't really know anything which I think at the time maybe helped um, you know because I would I would just do what I thought was best or what I was seeing and you know Phelps was obviously a phenomenon at that time and a lot of the this things that he would do, would, I would try and implement with Duncan, breathing every one on, on fly and, you know, six beat kick can be able to breathe every two, but both ways on, on freestyle. And it was very, very technically based. Um, so I didn't know anything about training really. And my experiences of being coached were totally inappropriate for, uh, for that age range, just with the volume and intensities that we, we probably did. Um, so I coached him until, I left there in 2007 at the end of the year and he moved to a local, another local club. Um, so for that year, it was actually one of my friends that coached him, a guy called Rob Lee at a programme in Falkirk. Um, and I moved down to South Ayrshire, which was a Borders area. Uh, and I coached there for a year. Um, and then Rob left first to go into the big world of banking and got out of coaching, um, maybe because he was smarter than all of us. And I ended up getting the job in Falkirk. Um, so I was back coaching Duncan again. And at this point, 2009, he'd have been 11, 12. And he went off to private school, a place called Strathallen, uh, which is in Perthshire. And they had a swimming program and a scholarship. And he swam there with a coach called Elaine Johnson, uh, who swam at the Commonwealth Games. Um, and she would coach him you know, day to day and me and Elaine would collaborate and would sit down at the start of each season and we'd look at, okay, what's the competition structure look like? What areas should he be focusing on? More from a technical point of view, because he didn't do a lot of training because the school wouldn't allow him to do mornings because he'd wake up the rest of the kids. Yeah. So he'd just do afternoons and evenings. And it's about 14. You've probably gone into 2011. He was probably only doing 30,000 yards a week. Because I remember sitting down with him and saying, you know, he was struggling because he, at that point, people mature. So there was a lot of boys that were getting big, getting strong, and he was small and slight. And, you know, I've got a really funny picture of him at a, a British age. Boys 15, 16 really uh, lined up in Duncan's the smallest by miles. Miles, you know, and they're only a same age or a year between them. Um, you know, so you could sometimes get quite discouraged so we'd always try and sell it that this is a real positive thing. Even being at school because he was boarding and he'd get homesick and he'd, you know, he'd want to be part of something. And he'd always say to him, look, when you go to the Olympic Games, you're going to live in a, in a village. It's very similar. And these are the sort of choices that you make. And, you know, it's making you stronger. Um, so he did that until from, I think, about 2009 till 2014. So, or maybe even 15, actually. You know, so when he when he went to the Commonwealth Games and went one forty seven zero in a relay, he's probably only doing thirty five thousand yards a week. You know, so it's, it's it's not a lot of volume at all. 
Um, and we were mindful of that, but positive about it because we knew just how underdeveloped, both physically and physiologically, he actually was. And that was, that was always really, really exciting. And, you know, myself and Elaine would work well. She'd sometimes send me messages if he was, you know, maybe a bit huffy and not trying and maybe go back with a little bit of, well, just tell him that such and such is probably training quite hard tonight. And, you know, that would change him. Um, and he got very, very good at just training on the clock pacing because he was a lot better than all the other kids that were there. Some of them were learning how to swim when he yeah. was in the pool. And he'd swim up and down using the clock, looking at his pacing, looking at his stroke counts and just learning that attention to detail and diligence that we thought this is going to be really important. Um, you know, and, he's, and he still has a lot of those traits now that you can trace back to going to boarding school, the hardship, the pool wasn't great, it was yards, there was no proper lane ropes or blocks um, you know and then he'd come into the program on his holidays they got quite a lot at private schools so maybe like 10 11 12 weeks of the year he would be back with the group um, you know and he'd really enjoy that competitive element so he'd get his teeth stuck in and then that he was always there when he was preparing for competitions and that helped him to get into that sort of mindset um, you know so he, he was still you know he won European juniors a year young in 2014 but you knew compared to the other guys, they were maybe doing 60,000 metres a week at high intensity and he's coming in doing 35,000 yards and, you know, he's beating them. What, did it, what time did he go that year? In the 200 IM, he went 201 um, in 2014 when he was a year young at the European Juniors. Um, and he yeah. swam it. Well, I remember someone, you know, telling me the story and I was like, wow, you know, like, so, and, and, you know, that was 2014 and, you know, two years later he's in, a, in an Olympic final and um, just fantastic. Yeah, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that happened just by chance and circumstances. His mum and dad are great as well and, you know, he's got a real discipline and work ethic from them. So you just knew when you were watching this, you're like, this, this could work. Yeah. And this, this can help. You know, we can add to this. We can... We can go back to that time even now when we have discussions at Olympic Games like do you remember when you were 10 or 11 and this happened and you, and you did that or remember when you done six lengths instead of eight lengths in the 200 freestyle short course and your dad gave you a row because you couldn't count to eight <laughs> nothing, to the, nothing to do with the outcome of the race it was because you couldn't count to eight and you're like fair enough <laughs> no well he's you know all right Meeting him in, well, 2017, 2018, when I was in Scotland and uh, we're on the, on the uh, Commonwealth Games camp, I think we had up there in Edinburgh, and uh, he's just humble, you know, great guy, listened well, always seemed like a team player, and you can't always say that about uh, all, all athletes. So, you know, hats off to him and his parents and yourself for, you know, bringing him through the way he's, he's come through. So it's always yeah, it's good. Very, very coachable, I would say. Probably one of the most coachable athletes I've ever came across. And, you know, his ability now to own his own destiny is incredible. And, you know, he really drives forward what's going on with the support team and the, the expertise that we now have around the, the programme with our partnerships with British women and Scottish women. So, you know, there's a lot of people that he'll go and seek out and say, I want to, I want to explore this a little bit more. I want to explore that a little bit more and we'll sit down and see how that fits as part of 
know, it's what we always have, your goals and your ambitions and your plans, short term and long term and, you know, kind of what your purpose is in the sport. So, you know, he's, he's very, very adept at that now. His mastery is pretty incredible. So, um, you know, it's taken a while, but, you know, I think, I think he can still get a lot better, um, which is exciting. So, Well, certainly, yeah, describing his up, you know, his, his upbringing, and, and, and coaching, I, I would think it's quite a lot different to the standard British uh, age group type swimmer. Um, and for me, I always think that's advantageous. If you can be competitive with less, you've yeah. just got more things up your sleeve to add, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're always looking for those, obviously, in our higher education um, program. You know, we one of the questions we always ask and this is more through working with Jan. Yeah. So it's logically based as you know, you try and determine what the athlete's training age is. And he will ask us to find out how many years they've been training four or more units a week. Yeah. So how often you've been training four or more times a week. And if a swimmer comes in and they say it's 12, right, oh, right okay, your training age is maybe a bit older. You know, if they come in and they say it's five or six, Ross Murdoch's a great example. Um, didn't really start training properly till 16, so made some really good shifts. Um, and that's something we know that, okay, then we can potentially, not always, uh, go a little bit further with you. Um, yeah. Because we do have some athletes come in and you're like, oh, okay, you're doing 20 hours a week in the pool, eight hours a week in the gym. We're like, well, what are we supposed to add in then? Mm. You know, otherwise we're going to have to take you back before we can take you forwards to, to unpick certain things. And then you've, of course, got the psychological impact and yeah. the resilience piece of his athlete willing to really do that. Yeah. Are they willing to take a couple of steps back to just then get back to where they were before they can progress? Um, and it's always a really, a really difficult sell, but one of the advantages we've got now is that we've got been established to a point where we can evidence it. We've got numerous athletes. If you say, okay, Kathleen Dawson's a great example. You know, she was 59.6 when she joined the program in 2016. And it wasn't until 2020 that she then improved to 58.6. In 2021, 58.0. Mm. Um, and there were a few reasons for that. You know, one was she ended up getting an ACL injury in 2019, which is unheard of for a swimmer, but um, somehow it happened. Um, and also the piece about moving away from home. A lot of them live at home, then they move away from home. And it, it can be particularly challenging, um, just that responsibility that I think, actually, I didn't even know that was a, something I had to be aware of. Mum mm. and dad always, always paid the bills. And, you know, so, so many different stresses in their life that it can make it difficult. Um, but I think if you've got the right sort of people in place to help and support them, then you know, it does make it easier. Yeah, that, that training age is a big one. When I was in Denmark, uh, I always felt um, that the D Danish swimmers were young. A 20-year-old Danish swimmer was younger than a 20-year-old Australian swimmer. Um, and uh, they were just fresher for that, you know. Um, and a couple of those, um, Rega and Janetta, who were in their mid-20s, I didn't feel that they were in their mid-20s when I was coaching them. Um, and it's also one of the reasons why when I was at the AIS, had a lot of pressure to have uh, qualifying times to be an AIS swimmer. But 
all you potentially end up with is overtrained athletes who have just scraped in on a time and you've exactly how you described it. You've got to unpick everything to get them to go forward. Uh, then people are on your back for, you know, why are they going backwards? <laughs> yeah. Mentally it's hard for them. Um, yeah. So I, I, it was always the same. You know, I, I never had training stand, uh, time standards and, I'm a big believer in that. You you want to see the athlete, what have they done to get to that point in their career and yeah. then ask yourself, can you take them forward? Yeah, and I think I think the mental one is massive because yeah. when when they've got a younger training age or they're not as they're un, a bit underdeveloped, there's a lot of things you can add in that are new and exciting and stimulating. You know, if they've if they've been overexposed, it can be really challenging to find anything. Yeah, that really stimulates or motivates them because they, they sometimes associate certain things negatively. You know, we we've had swimmers come in and they've just thought, "I don't want to go in a training camp because uh, I just we work harder." Right now, we go in a training camp to get a different environment. So it might just be altitude, or mm. it might be sunshine. We're not necessarily going to train harder. We might do a little bit more because we've no other distractions and it's more convenient. But you know, it's, sometimes you just associate that with, ah, I don't want to do it, it's too much. Yeah. You know, and, and even just certain competitions and things to do. So, you know, it does make managing the senior athlete a lot more challenging. And, and that's where it's that that ability just to, you know, get them out their own way a little bit mentally and see things a little bit different and, and not be as stressed. One thing we find is like training hard. I've got to train hard. Uh, well, now you have to train well. Yeah, you have to train hard over a, a big piece, you know the big the, the season, not three weeks, and then you have one week where you're rubbish because you just switched off and you can't do it, you know. And we're always quite conscious of of managing that. And again, that's through work from a physiological point of view when when we're discussing with Jan, but also just from a mental piece that you know they can manage that. It's manageable and it's effective, so it's optimal, you know, yeah. rather than just going through a big block and they they get phased by. I can't go 12 weeks of aerobic power work because that's too long, you know, and I'll break. Whereas if you do shorter pieces of work, they can always see, right, okay, I can get that done. Yeah. You know, and then do some re- physical and mental regeneration. And that, that's where this season's been really interesting, just in the mental side. Um, you know, it's been quite bumpy off the back of the Olympics with people's motivation. Yeah, I'm really excited to do it. But, well, I'm, yeah, next day, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> right, okay. You know, so it's we're really taking our foot off the gas and just a bit of a say la vie approach to okay, the environment is here and you choose how seriously you want to take it this season, particularly for the older guys. The younger ones we've still got a a bit of a push towards and you know certain things around them. But really what we want to do is make sure that when we come back in September, we've got a good two year run into Paris and we know what the plan is. There's not as much adjusting because of COVID. Yeah. Um, and we have a group of athletes who are focused on that. Because um, at the minute, we've still got some who are Commonwealth Games and they're going to retire, um, which is fine. Um, but it's hard to set that scene of this is the journey to Paris when you've got some people thinking, I'm not going to be here though. Yeah. No, no, so, right. I think there's a fair bit of that going on in Australia as well, you know. Um, just listening to how you described that. And, and there's some people who are skipping worlds and only going to commonwealths. Um, the, uh, what about yourself? Is, is it, uh, 
individual approach. Um, I, for you yourself, are you really looking forward? To, I've spoke a lot on the podcast about the best Commonwealth Games I've been to was Manchester 2002, um, a home Commonwealth Games for yourself and uh, um, and all, you know, the English know how to, you know, watch, watch any sport really. <laughs> That made um, darts <laughs> exciting. So, what are you looking forward to? Uh, I'm looking forward to Commonwealth Games, uh, and I'm I'm going to be the head coach for Scotland for that, which is you know exciting, and you know it's a real honour, obviously, to be Scottish and and go down to England. Um, so, Put the you know, wall paint on. What's that? Put the wall paint on. <laughs> That's what they'll expect, to be fair. And um, so, there'll be a good bit of banter. Mel's obviously the head coach of England as well. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of actually a couple of Scottish coaches on the English staff. So, you know, we're looking forward to the Commonwealth Games, and we'll have a bigger squad of athletes there, particularly from our program. Um, world is going to be a funny one. I'd be honest; I don't even know if we're going yet. It's very political, and I know that the Swiss have released a statement, and you know that's a bit above me. So we just kind of do as we're as we're told with it. When they were cancelled, it was probably a little bit of relief. And when they came back on, but a month later, we thought, oh, okay, gives us a little bit longer. But we'll take the approach that um, we're probably not as emotionally invested in this one as we have been in the past. Yeah. Uh, maybe, um, but certainly not not all of them in Commonwealth Games and Europeans will be a little bit more of the focus because it's in a more traditional part of the season. And we've still got an eye on the bigger picture. You know, yeah. We don't want to be tapering for trials, tapering for worlds, tapering for commies, hanging on for Europeans. And you get to the start of next season and like, I'm cooked. Yeah. You know, when all you want is some real, just steady, prolonged training phases. Um, so Commonwealth Games will be good fun. And I think it'll be the first real event post-COVID. And they're quite relaxed in England with it all. So there should be big crowds, no mask wearing, all going well. And the, the usual hoo-ha that goes with an event that we've really missed since 2019. Yeah. Um, any event has been wear your masks, no crowd, social distance, get tests every day. Um, and you've just learned that oh, that's what it is. Uh, but you forgot really what the real beauty of a meet was. And it was great in Edinburgh because we could socialise, we could speak to other coaches, we could go out for dinners and you could do all the networking and have the discussions that you'd really missed yeah. for the past two years. You miss that learning, you know, just what's going on, how did you handle this and what, what he's planning for and how he's going to go about it. Um, so, yeah, it'll be good. Um, but Budapest in 2017 World Championships was incredible. You know, they, they, they loved their swimming over in yeah. Hungary and it was a great environment in the stands. Yeah, well, I remember watching that on TV and if you were, you know, with a, a late call like and all the changes that went on, if you were going to pick one place in Europe, um, Budapest would probably be it. Yeah, the pool's, the pool's amazing. We, we had our European Championships there actually last year um, in 2020, and we used it as a preparation meet um, for the Games. And, I mean, Britain had an incredible meet at, at that. It was just everybody was hungry to be there, um, yeah. and they run it really, really well. Even in COVID times, it was a really well-run meet. Um, and obviously the showcasing of the meets has changed. I don't know if that's in part to do with ISL, you know, but it, there's there's just more of a production around, you know, a lot of these events, Europeans, Worlds, 
and when we got to Olympics, it was very stale and ceremonial, and we thought yeah. the walkouts were a bit boring. You know, this is a bit naff. <laughs> but, you know, especially with no crowds, you're like, oh, God, a bit pompous. Yeah. You know? yeah so, but yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, it'll be a good season and lots of opportunities for, for some of the younger athletes to get exposure on the international stage um, and some of the senior athletes just to try different things. Or miss yeah. it, and I know I know that I had a lot of the Australians out in ISL when we were in Naples, and you know I think from most athletes, like oh, gee, I don't really want to be here at the minute. I'd rather be on holiday, and it, it was quite hard to manage the the athletes through that. Um, and then in Eindhoven as well, so a few of them have spent a bit of time training in Stirling between the two, um, Kyle and Zach, and a few yeah. of the girls as well, so Minna, um, etc. So. You know, it was good to have those guys over and just learn more from them. Yeah, and it'd be a great experience for them as well because it's, it's something Australian athletes don't get to do a lot of. Um, and it was one of the things that I saw in when I was coaching up in Denmark. You know, we'd have people from Sweden and, and uh, you know, Hungary and stuff like that just coming in and spending a week. And it, it's good for the that group as well, isn't it? You know, when you've got a high performance group of X amount, it it, it stimulates them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kyle was in between trying to break world records at the time, so yeah. he just and then he, and then he, and he went and he uh, and he broke it a few, a few weeks later. So there was also that discussion with with him and just just really getting what what they focus on and what's important. And you know, being around Emma yeah. at the the ISL was great as well, and just picking her brain and her, her dad had been out in Naples with us, Ron. So yeah. we spent a lot of time with him just discussing all things swimming and the different perspectives from the different nations. And it, it really stimulates our guys yeah. um, when they've got that type of calibre of athlete in because they, they want to be challenged with it and, and challenged by it. And, you know, it raises the standards. And also that one thing I think the ISL has been great for is we first used it in 2019 as part of our preparation for the original Tokyo. And, and more of that was around socially normalizing some of the athletes that you're going to compete with. Yeah. Sometimes I still a foreign athlete, don't see them much, only see them at competition. We don't really speak. We're all in the zone. Once you get to know them and they're normalized, it's less threatening. Oh, so absolutely. And that, I thought the, the ISL has been great for bringing in the swimming community um, and doing that. And you've got, you know, Dai Sato there and, and Chad and the British guys, Australian guys, and just seeing how they go about their business has been, you know, really eye-opening. Um, and, and, you know, a, a really good thing for the sport, I think, because if it lasts, I don't know. But um, certainly at that point, you know, it made a real difference, I think, to, to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I've actually, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to um, a couple of New South Wales coaches about this. Years ago, you know, you, New South Wales had sent their age groupers up into Queensland and, and compete at a championship. And we haven't done it for a, a good while now. And you, you you take the myth away. You know, you you humanise the competitors. You know, you know what I mean? Rather than only seeing them at the major, which for developing athletes would be the Australian championships. And then you get this, oh, Queenslander. Yeah, well, they all can't swim fast, you know. So, but um, 
So, you know, that's what I've been sort of banging on about. I said, when are we going to start going up into, you know, their domain and and um, and just, you know, pulling them down a, a peg or two? So Yeah, yeah and it's, it's great. And I, I think it's important even for senior established athletes. Sometimes yeah. you're like, you know, it's... You forget. You think, oh, you should, you should be like that. They're not. Yeah. They're not always. Um, it depends on where they are and their their journey and what experiences they've had. And um, yeah, it's really important. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. Sorry, Shannon. I, I just want to t- jump in because I know we were just talking about the ISL with the boys, and and I've had Duncan on the podcast on off the blocks quite a few times. I had Kyle. I know they all got in and and did their hair this time around that i mean it's changed now everyone's gone back thank god i think it's looking a lot better did they get you mate did you did you do your hair as well or they're all blonde wasn't asked so <laughs> <laughs> i'm not i'm not feeling up to be in their gang right? <laughs> oh, but yeah they, 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 they loved it you know the, the boys competitiveness is unbelievable at that I, I love it you know it really it's really motivating it's really exciting and you just really see getting their head around the competitive spirit and what makes them tick and that helps when you go back to your national teams and your, your squad programs as well and even the girls mm. you know but of athletes at that level you know you look across the field and you look up at the scoreboard and you're like that's an olympic final mm. every single race there's it's relentless there's no let up there's no hiding you know you're always doing it for your team and the pride that is associated with that and yeah, they, they were really keen to try and break the world record on the four by one um, and I wanted to explain to them that they can't because they're all from different countries. So then they had this idea, well, what about the Commonwealth record? Because if we've got Duncan plus some Australia. <laughs> and I think they actually, I think, I'm sure they changed it on Wikipedia because they did break it, I think. And I think they went on Wikipedia and changed the record. <laughs> changed back to their record. <laughs> they had an idea around doing that and I think it got changed back. But um, yeah, I love it. It's great fun and a good good group of guys together the, the Brits and the Aussies particularly are you know what's well, interesting my- it's interesting Steve sorry you say that because there's talk now obviously for anyone who doesn't know Adam Peaty is signed with Speedo uh he's, he's no longer with Arena he's now a Speedo athlete and I know they were putting it on him the other day what if we had you and obviously Caleb Dressel's with it in Speedo and Duncan's on Speedo and then there's you know there's a few other and uh yeah no obviously it wouldn't be a world record but uh, I think uh it's definitely something that people are starting to think about now what if you created this sort of super team what would they be able to go it's super wars <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly wow. yeah you could have an ISL suit war like you say Arena versus Speedo. Yeah. <laughs> put together there are ridiculous. You know, you just like, oh my God. You know, back breast, you got uh, Shimanovic and a breaststroke split going 54 low or whatever it was. And it's just, I was, was it 55 low? Was it 54 low? It, yeah. I, I remember. Hard, yeah. It's yeah. just insane. Yeah. It's, it's a different level, different type of swimming. And it is, from one course to that, it's very, very different, you know, different approach. But, um, it's mm. good fun. um the uh no well that that's that sounds really good and I'm, I'm you know personally i'm looking forward to you know obviously the rest of our summer but um the commonwealth games and 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 that i think hopefully it all goes ahead worlds like you say yeah i've, I've thought about whether it's yeah we'll see what happens with 
yeah. what's going on in Europe. But um, well, one last question, and I've, I'm Rowan Taylor. I was going to um, ask him last week. He had to name his top five, but uh, time got away from us. Um, if you were to name your top five all all time favourite. Uh, swimmers doesn't have to be the best. It can just be your favourite, but they can't be UK swimmers. Who would they be? Yeah, well, I'm glad I got a heads up on it. Otherwise, we might have been here for ages. Because <laughs> I'd, forget, I'd forget someone then want to swap them. Um, I think for, a first one is, is obvious for me and everyone, I think, if you've not got Phelps in there as one of your your personal favourites and there's maybe something wrong and. You know, a lot of that's just long, longevity, breaking new ground, you know, range of events, effectively, you know, changing the sport laterally. There's always a recency bias, isn't there? And there's swimmers that came before that spitzes that, that, that probably done the same thing. But, you know, I, I got the, to watch him race in, a, in Rio. I was, I was there, I was, I was in the stands and to watch him swim in his last races and Duncan actually got to race him as part of the four by one and four by two. You know, I was a really good picture of those two at the, the end of the four by two shaking hands. And, you know, he was a real big idol for him and somebody that probably, you know, technically shaped my thinking or certainly challenged it. Yeah. Um, so he, he's got to be in there. You know, the other one is um, probably Popov. I know there's a, he's Russian and there's a current, you know, crisis and, Europe but just the grace that he swam so fast with compared to now where you know I see a lot more uh, fight yeah some of the events and he did it with such style and then reading about how he trained and you know the timed easy 5k's that he would do and the efficiency and the science that went uh, was behind it and some of the rumors about him smoking to you know increase his lung capacity and he spent a lot of time in saunas and I think I listened to a podcast and he says it wasn't true. Um, you know, so, th- so there was a lot of things there uh, that I, I remember as a, as a young swimmer watching on the, on the television. Um, and then thirdly, it would be uh, Yana Klochkova. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, the Ukrainian medley swimmer. Uh, 24 IM twice, yeah. 2000 and 2004, you know, and also won a medal in the, the 800 freestyle. You know, I, I just don't think anybody's really done the, the double because I think longevity is really something that I always aspire to from yeah. a coaching point of view. Um, Ketajima? Yeah. You know, again, double, 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 double 100 mm-hmm. and 200. And I think we're now maybe getting to a point where, apart from on backstroke for some reason, the 100, 200 double seems really difficult. Really difficult. You know, you look at fly apart from a uh, Milak who's close but you look at breaststroke PT and then you've got your stubble cooks yeah uh, you've got your freestyle you've got your dressels and then you've got your, your Tom Deans or your, your Duncans and Popovich is obviously very close and you know Duncan's been in there in the past in terms of finaling and then the last one and this is maybe a, a bit of an odd one but it's actually Mary Meager oh yeah 205 because when I in 2014 I went to the YMCA pool in Florida mm-hmm. And they had their records on the board. Yeah. And it's 205, 1984, women's turn to fly. And I thought, that must be a mistake. But it wasn't. <laughs> she and did I, that in 81, I think. I, I was like, two, I was like, I can't believe yeah. that, that long ago those type of times were were being swam. And you know, obviously there's there's loads more 
57 for the 100 fly as well. And, and like, everyone else was swimming 59.9. Never, never, never seen her swim. Um, but I just remember thinking, and some of the boys is like, it's faster than some of you boys go. Yeah. I, I met, well, I didn't meet her, but I saw her, she swam at the Queensland Championships in 1986. And not a big woman at all, you know, but technically just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, good call. That was a good one. <laughs> yeah. I know, I, I suppose, I mean, I, I, I'm a massive fan of Van der Hoogen Band as well. Yeah. Again, just longevity, and uh, you know, he obviously worked quite closely with with Jan, who we work with now, and you know, I've always kind of looked up to Yako as a as a coach too, and um, you know, he was somebody I thought I'd really like to have him in there, but um, he just missed out. Yeah, and another day, you know, you have someone like that in, and isn't it? You know, so um, no, that's good. The um, and, and getting back to the breaststroke, I think. We asked Matt. I think Robbie, we had that breaststroke. Who's the greatest? And we, we had Kitajima above Adam. But if Adam went three, then it'd be pretty tough. But but that it's just yeah. I mean, you know, having coached um, uh, Rega um, is definitely two hundred. Um, to be able to go the one and the two. Yeah, you, you, you like the further you go back, it becomes more. There, there are more doubles. Um, but, never, but even, but even, even saying that, not that many. You know, like Morehouse. You know, uh, Lundquist in the eighties, and it was you know in the in the hundred, and and uh, Victor Davis in the two hundred. Um, so yeah, so yeah, Kitajima, he was exceptional. Yeah, and I do think that. A lot of the hundred now is becoming way more anaerobic based, yeah. and I think maybe the college system is playing a part in just how powerful some of these some of these guys are are getting. Particularly, look at hundred free and the third fastest time at the games was forty seven one one. They didn't have the final, but in the semi final it was forty seven one one. So you look at the fastest times flat start. You know that's different to even forty seven. High forty-seven mid, yeah, is pretty, pretty average now. If you're going forty-seven-five, you you might get a medal if people underperform. Yeah, and, and that's the way we we started to look at it. Is really need to focus on a, a real different way of training week in week out, um, particularly on the land. Um, if you want to get down to those sort of times, and the, the cost of that, and some of the other events can be can be pretty high. Um, you know, and also that consistency piece. You see people coming in 47-5 one season, 48-8 the next. Yeah. But how's that happen? You know, so it's, it's that swimmers that are able to do it, you know, consistently year in, year out is, is, is massively impressive. Um, and that's where that management piece comes in, isn't it? How sustainable is it? Do you think that's a lack of efficiency? Um, because they've, they've gone that uh, power route, you know, that quite, could be quite land-based, training um their skill in the water may not be to the height you know like your boy um or a, a popov or a beyondy in the past um and you know they they might get injured so yeah. they've got nothing else to play, come yeah. back on or you know yeah 
a, a number of reasons, but they've got less tools in their toolbox. Yeah, I think sometimes it's just squeezing a little bit too much. Mm. You know, you're, you're just running the car at full throttle for an extensive period, and then you get to a point and you can't do it again. So you have to complement that by doing something that's going to be uh, beneficial. Or you see it a lot where things will happen and a, a swim will be, oh, that's a great swim. And you look back and you're like, yeah, but it's not because of what we did three or four weeks before. It might be because of what we did for six months before or the season before. Yeah. I think you see that quite a lot. And there is that recency bias of, oh, well, we've just done this. So that's why we swam fast. And we'll keep doing that. But without really taking a step back and looking at the story, yeah. And the evolution of, or maybe this is what happened. And you, you can never, it's no exact, it's not an exact science. So we can never know for certain. But you do see a lot of the short events where somebody will come and they've probably done a lot of uh, high intensity work, but they don't then go and complement that with some lower level work and some technical work. Um, and some of it can be mental as well. It's, I can't, I can't go through that again. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's, right. too, it's too taxing. Yeah, um, you know, and it's the thing you battle with because you're like, yeah, but you might have then ended up being the Olympic champion, but just once and for one year, and then you nobody knows sees you again, and that was it uh, against somebody who Laszlo Che was another swimmer I thought massive mm. admirer of because anybody else would have got discouraged. Mm. What helps and Lochte and all these Ben events, but the guy was in Tokyo in the final, you know, and he's won all these medals at the Worlds and Europeans and Olympics and. You got to admire that. that you know, that's a that's a real love of the sport and chasing performance and preparation and interest. And you know, you would sometimes see Laszlo in Europe in January, and he was yeah. out of shape. Yeah, of I, shape. I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> and think, and oh, he, he's going to retire. <laughs> and then he'd turn out four months later, and you know, yeah. the hair would be shaved, the yeah. six pack would be back. And I remember it's 2016. He was. 50 point or and 152 in the turn at Europeans and turn to fly before the Olympics. We thought, wow, he's going to, he's going to do it. Um, his Olympics weren't quite as on point as that. But then again, you would see him four months later and you're like, oh, okay, right. You know, going 205, 200 IM and not, not, not stressing. Yeah. No, not stressing about it, but just choosing, knowing it takes me this long to get prepared, provided I'm in this starting point. So that's mm. how I'm going to manage myself through, you know, the years. Because um, it can be a bit of, you, you know, this Shannon, and there is a bit of a hamster wheel effect where you're, you, you just don't get off. You go to the championship in the summer, you do the best time. Your qualification times come out for the next year's main event and you've got to do another PB to get there. And then you've got to do another PB to at the, the summer and then it goes on again and on again. Or for the best to win, not just a PB, but you're like, you're still going to be in really good shape to do that time and yeah. beat everybody else to qualify. So you just never, you're never getting the chance to just come off it a little bit. And I think the European nations, you know, because there's maybe not as much depth in some of them, they, they, they certainly do it well. Yeah, well, that, I, I definitely saw that. And um, uh, two things that come to mind is um, I think the pre-selection helps for that downtime and certainly preparing uh, the Danish swimmers. I, I could I could play around a little bit. I could experiment uh, knowing I didn't have to be fully ready, you know, in, in March and then again in, 
at you know mid, mid middle of the season, uh, middle of the year, the summer. Um, but also, I think they actually, well, comparing to Australia, they actually enjoyed themselves a bit as well. Um, yeah. And, and whether the two go hand in hand, but I, I certainly enjoyed myself um, looking back more in those years as a coach um, uh, at the major meet or coming off the major meet. I think sometimes uh, in the past we've taken it a bit too serious in Australia. Um, yeah, it's probably that, for another that's point. Where the, that's where the learning happens. Yeah. Like, and that's one thing, you know, one of the questions is what's maybe changed in my coaching and that confidence and being experimental or just stretching boundaries a little bit more but knowing why because also more knowledgeable and got a little bit more expertise you know so being through more experiences is just having that ability to choose points or to take risks yeah. they're more calculated you know and, and, and as well because that can be one thing that you know we all have our own doubts as coaches and as individuals and as humans and you know you go to points you think are we doing the right thing you know and it's knowing when to change it and when to trust it we've seen it we can evidence it can evidence it to ourselves and sometimes you don't share those concerns with the athletes you just sit in your own little head thinking yeah that's right <laughs> go back to your plan on your it's as right as i can make it it's been as honest as, as i can be yeah. you know so now i've just got to go with it and, and b- believe in it and you know and portray some deliberate optimism because i'm very much a realist you know and i know that sometimes i have to shift that when i'm getting to certain points of the season and i'm like Right now, I need to be a real optimist, yeah. know, positive, enthusiastic, and egg it up a little bit rather than think, well, this is probably what's going to happen. I can keep that to myself, you know, or guard against it and try and, you know, shift it in a different direction. But I think that's a, the one thing we've done well this year is a pre-selection for world champs. Um, athletes know they're on the team and, and we've got a real, uh, more from British swimming, is piece around retainment. How yeah. can we retain our best athletes and look after them and then how can we find new medals that are going to pop through you know and it's just letting these guys take their foot off the gas and trust that you know they've said they're going to be ready and they've said they're going to do certain things by then so you know just letting them get on with it um because we don't have we'll never have another adam pt hmm. uh, you know wow you know it's gonna that'll be that'll be great but we need to make sure that we're protecting those athletes and allowing them the space to, to breathe and get in a bit yeah. of headspace again. No, I think it's a smart move. And I think it's something that America has been doing well for a while now, like at least, yeah, from off the top of my head, 12 years maybe, um, where their priest, yeah, their Commonwealth, uh, sorry, their Pan-Pac team had automatic, that's their world's team for the next year. So, so um, then... The under the athletes that miss that, then they go, oh, I've got to train for the Olympics because I can't go to the Worlds next year. So they have this two-prong attack all verging on that Olympic year and you've, you've had younger athletes looking at a two-year and their coaches looking at a two-year plan and you've yeah. kept the motivation of the older athletes in competitions and things. So it's a... It's a it's a dual approach, and if there's one nation that doesn't need to do that, it's America. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because, see, one of the benefits of the Olympics being cancelled was we sat down and thought, 
right? We've got three quarters of the way through this season. Some things have gone really well. Some things haven't worked really well. This is a massive advantage that we've now got another year because we can take out the things that went well and implement them again. And we can change the things that we don't think were, were, were working that well. So it gave us, particularly some of the younger athletes, I think we had five on the team. Okay, we, we've got another year now to prepare even more. And even with Duncan, we've got another year to be mm. even better. You know, so here's where we were at. And here's where we think we can be in a year. And actually, you've got a real big experimental piece where we're just going to train and not compete. How often do you get that chance to train so extensively and not compete? Yeah. You know, it's always the training method I've been interested in. And I think there's a Norwegian guy from the Winter Olympics who's brought out a big piece of work where he's like, I won it. But I went through a massive period where I didn't race. I just trained. Yeah. And then I think you bring that up. I was, I was going to... Um... I was thinking about asking you about that, but you've brought it up. So um, I was talking to Sean Kelly, and he he must have been over there for the trials for the Olympics, and, and you guys had, had a really good trials. And um, I said, well, you know, what are they saying, blah, blah, blah. And he said he, he went around, he was talking to a few different coaches, and everyone, the common thing was just had a long training block without – the interruption of competing and you could do things. And we've seen it out here um, as well, you know, at different levels. Like, um, you know, we had a nine-week, we've had two years in a row, we've had nine weeks where we weren't allowed to train. So we came back last October and our last meet before that was a small meet in July and the meet before that was the Australian Championships for most of my squad or, or the Olympic Trials but that's sort of half and half. But my point being, like, so they didn't compete from July. They they competed in the end of January after a nine-week out of the water and then this slow, long period and, and, and straight out of the blocks went PB times. So yeah. different level, but but probably yeah. actually the right level that for developing athletes where you just do a big training block. Yeah, and our debrief after the Olympics, we, we highlighted the fact that if you worked out the number of training units or days missed ordinarily due to flying for competitions and camps, a little bit of illness off the back, it mounts up. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. That we're, we're, we're going to be more mindful of. And there is, a, there is an entertainment factor around going to these competitions. Yeah. I think if you can talk the athletes out of that, then you're in a stronger position because you do see some athletes, and particularly from the Eastern Eastern Europe over here, where they'll disappear and not compete. And you know, they're just training and then they'll pop back up. You know, and they're just doing extensive, prolonged blocks of consistent training. Yeah. You know, and I always say that to me, you just have to train consistently well, not inconsistently great. Yeah. Rally just came in. That's where Duncan's amazing. Come in. Good job. See you later. Yeah. come in, good job, see you later. Nothing ridiculous until certain points where you're like, not many people could do that. You know, yeah, you, build yeah. up to, you build up to it, you build up to it over years as well. Well, it's the you difference know, with great coaches as well, isn't it? I always sort of, I used to say this to swimmers all the time about that consistency point. You wouldn't go to a dentist who is no good on Fridays, you know, <laughs> or Mondays and only good on Wednesdays. He's okay on Tuesdays. You know what I mean? Like 
you know, as a coach, um, lots of coaches can have a good year or a good meet, but can they consistently year in, year out, produce multiple swimmers or whatever, or just have a long career? Same, same with athletes. Um, and it is, it's, the, it's the key difference between people who have potential, they have the talent, but they can't grasp the consistency that someone else can. And there's a, there's a real discipline with that as well, mm. because I think sometimes, you know, people have challenged me on this, is could certain of athletes have been quicker the year before or at that meeting? You're like, probably, maybe, maybe not. But they probably wouldn't have been able to be quicker that year, then that year, then that year, you know, and, and have a progression where actually we're holding things back because we know that what we're prescribing is enough to make an improvement. And then next year we can tighten it a little bit more. We can add in a little bit here. And we're always looking at how we can evolve the micro cycle and the meso cycle. And is the set construction, is it optimal? Is that actually working the way we want it to work? And what could we add into that type of set this season to add a greater stimulus? So yeah. one of the simple things we did in the Olympic year was if we were doing paddle work or pull, you know, we always made them wear a band to stop them kicking their legs. So we just started making them wear a very light sponge yeah. because it was an additional stimulus there for the ones that was appropriate, you know, and monitoring, you know, are you holding your stroke count? What's happening with it? How does that relate to your strength measures in the gym? You know, so you can always add little bits in. We're always looking to do that. And this season it was a little bit more around speed, but still a little bit more resisted work on speed because we've never really done a lot of that bungees or towers and we've always been quite cautious. So this season, well, all right, let's get some bungees and do a little bit more work where we can see if we can get a different training response or how can we get you stronger in the water as opposed to, yep, stronger in the land, squatting more, more chin-ups, like, yeah, but swimming slower. Yeah. So it's like, I'm going through that at the moment with my SNC, you know, like ne never have I questioned SNCs in my own head as much as I am now. So it's a tricky one. And, and you know, our SNC coaches are great, work very closely with the physio because the physio can say, look, well, we had Minna Atherton here, world record holding 100 back, and she couldn't do a chin up. Yeah. She's world record holding 100 back. So, how strong do you need to be to swim anyway? Yeah. And it's relative because some people who aren't technically quite as good, you're probably going to have to make up with it by being a little bit stronger and a little bit more aggressive in the water. Mm. But if you're technically good, I'm like, well, you've got strength in areas that, that other people don't, particularly in some of your extremities. Yeah. You know, when the lever is longer, you can apply more force and you can hold your body in the correct sort of position rather than punching up and slipping. Or, you know, if you if we always find if you're too dense muscle-wise, and your ability to feel and accelerate through a stroke cycle isn't as great because you yeah. don't have the same sensation on the water and you snatch at it. Um, and, and we find that a lot. So we'll take people out of the gym or we'll microdose a little bit in the gym, uh, go in for a couple of weeks and come out again. Yeah. And I just keep strength where it needs to be rather than... I mean, Ross Murdoch's been in this programme and, and this will probably be his last year after the Commonwealth Games for 10 years. 10 years of back squat, front squat, that amounts to a change. You're going to morph into something different. Yeah. Um, so we've always got questions around the gym stuff and trying to figure it out a bit more or see if there's any research papers out there that can 
help us. There's not, there's not a huge amount. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we work with Jan, he's like, you guys do too much in the gym. Yeah. You're lifting too much. They don't need to be doing that. It's affecting the physiology negatively. And we're always kind of trying to, to battle that. And how far out from the, the target meet do you bring them out to the gym? Five, six weeks. I'd say to be safe, to make sure that in your final preparation, you get some real good quality workouts that you can get an adaptation yeah. that you've never had before. And yeah. we've used that to good effect um, with ISL and short course swimming is go to an intensity you've never been at, surely we get a training response we've never had. Yeah, that's exactly what I said to... Um, <clears throat> remember Mitch, who worked with you guys? Mitch Pemberton, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he just... Left my left the program. Left Australia. He's up in um, India oh, okay. uh, with the hockey guys uh, up there. So, so we got a new S and C. And I, I said to her the other day, right? We got not we're nine ten weeks out, nine weeks out. No, no more PBs in the gym. Nothing. Just hold them. Work as hard as you like on technique in the gym, but yeah. nothing else. Yeah. An interesting one we did is we took them out of the gym quite early for our trials in 2019, probably about four or five weeks. And then the week after, we asked the gym coach if he could put in some 1RMs, so one rep max. They were all doing best time. Uh, they were all doing PB lifts, you know, and we'd had them out for longer than they would maybe want or would we did in the past. Um, and some of it, I think, is just because they were fresher. Yeah. Just... They're, they're more fresh, so they're, they're able to, to apply a little bit more force. But it meant in our heads, we're like, all right, you can be very confident that they're strong enough. They're not going to yeah. lose it. They're still going to be strong enough anyway if they do lose some to swim because they're strong enough anyway, but we actually might get more out of them on that final phase. Yeah. Where That's what my head's at at the moment as well. Really go into areas where you're like, you could never have done that if you'd done a, a lift this morning and, and that's more important so for your anaerobic power set yeah you, you were at a higher intensity you should get a better response because we've, we're still not tapered in the water we're just yeah. freshening up to, to apply yourself a little bit more um, especially neurally and technically um, and that's where we can just play around a little bit more relaxed with that and less stressed unless it's a young athlete who has strength focus um, on what we'll do and play around a little bit more so um, no, it's been simple. Right, we'll probably go full circle at some point. <laughs> Don Talbot always said that to me. He said, Sean, everything goes around in full circle. <laughs> yeah, we're at the bottom of the circle at the minute. We'll go back yeah. to the top. <laughs> oh, very good. Now it's been good chatting to you, Steve, and uh, all the best with the with the squad and, and uh, for the upcoming trials for those guys that have got to get themselves on and and uh, and. Uh, Good luck to Scotland, yeah. Head coach for the Commonwealth Games will be a highlight. And you guys are, um, I know you've got a job out, out for a new head coach, so I'm not sure when that's going to get announced. Yeah, probably next week. I think the interviews are on Friday, so I, I don't actually know who's uh, who's applied for it. Um, so maybe next week Yeah, uh, they'll, they'll announce who, who that is, and then that'll be quite an exciting time again. Yeah. Uh, moving forward through the next uh, however many years. Yeah. So, but maybe see you out at the Commonwealth Games if you're, nah. if you're there or on the staff. Nah, ruling yourself out. Yeah. <laughs> Got two chances: Buckley's and none. <laughs>
Oh, um, Shannon, I, don't, I hope you don't mind if I've got a couple of questions, Steve, before you before you jump off because I, I wanted to um, just ask a couple. I, I had one about coaching mentors, but I did listen. You've done a podcast with Brett Hawke, and I think you sort of went through a few that you'd sort of um, – you know, helped start your career and things like that. For you now, you seem like a, you know, a sharp guy who's constantly pushing his boundaries of learning more. Who are you looking at these days in terms of coaching mentors or maybe even outside of swimming um, podcasts or different things that help sort of stimulate your brain to, to think of things differently, more so for the coaches listening that they you know, might give them a tip to have a look at a book or have a listen to something. Do you have sort of, uh, you know, as I said, mentors, maybe they might not know they're your mentors. You might just be, you know, watching what they're doing and, and taking it apart. Yeah, I mean, I probably at the minute, I'm, a, I'm a, obviously an explorer, but I'm very interested in philosophy. So I'm always looking at ancient philosophy of the Greeks and, and, and other places and not to any great real in-depth extent, but I, I did just complete my postgraduate and um and as part of UK sport and it was just a diploma and we did that in coaching science and that was really exploring who you are as a coach, why you coach that way, looking at my own upbringing and things that have impacted on me and why I might choose to make decisions or be frustrated at certain things or not or let things slip and whether or not that's appropriate. Um, so really it's just reflecting on what, what is coaching, you know, what makes me tick. Um, news and current affairs is always something I listen to and and, and politics and not so much about um, how they go about the business, but just listening to the types of strategies that they would use on, on leadership. And from a technical point of view, I'm always keeping my ears open. Um, you know, I, I, to be fair, I used Shannon a lot when he was here um, and spoke to him and still reflect on some of the conversations we've had, like the one we've, we've, we've just had. Um, Ian Wright, who is based in Scotland. And I spoke to Dave Marsh a lot. He's, um, when I was out at ISL and Mark Faber, who's now the head coach of um, Netherlands, but I'll speak to anyone and I think I can, I can learn, um, even coaches that are not as experienced because sometimes you forget some of the things that were important at starting simple, simplifying it. I went through a period where I'm like, I'm overcomplicating this. Just well, We've I mean, all done that. Need to simplify it. And, and, and even the language, just simplify the, the, the language and individuality and specificity and do that over a piece, not every session, because the social side of swimming is, is really important in the camaraderie. Um, but I do listen a lot. I listen to the news a lot. My wife hates it, but I'm always just listening to what people are saying and how they're thinking about things and trying to change my perception. Um, I'm not a great reader. I'll be honest. I prefer to listen. Um, I get a bit fed up when I'm reading things because a lot of times I think you get a book and it's 300 pages and there's probably three or four things that I think are really important in it. The rest of it is just a bit making it a book. It's about making it 300 pages. <laughs> so I, I did have an app I used to listen to where they would actually read the book for you and then give you the important points. And then what I would do is I'd go and explore the points that I thought I'm interested in that yeah. or I feel I don't know anything I, anything about it but um yeah i think as you as i'm certainly getting a little older i've got a family now as well then you know there's a, there's a lot of other areas that I, I need to make sure that i'm investing time in and more than I, I probably did up until last season so mm. this season about taking a little bit more time probably for myself and my family and 
doing a little bit more of that and making sure that I'm fresh enough and energized enough to, to get into the next cycle. Well, it's interesting you say that because that was going to be my next question. You know, you've been doing this for a while now. Is there something when you look back when you first got into coaching that maybe you don't do as much anymore? It's it's sort of, you know, as coaches, you know, when you do this for a a long period of time, certain things just, I want to say, get bashed out of you. But it, it certainly takes its toll and things start to drop away. When you look back, is there something maybe you don't do as much now that you look back and you think, oh, I maybe need to start bringing that in? Uh, again or, or touching on it again um and then the other two-part question to that is now with all the experience that you've had is there something that you you know you do now that you're really uh you know confident in uh and you, you know you're glad that experience has got you to that point yeah, I'll, I'll probably go with the last one i'm i'm quite hands-off um i don't i don't really feel that i, I over coach sometimes i might i maybe towards the side of undercoaching, but it's a conscious thing. Um, you know, one of the best bits of advice I got was that, you know, choosing not to act or not to intervene is a choice, you know, and, and knowing when to and when not to do that can be important, particularly if you're developing an athlete who's always jumping in can be detrimental. It's sometimes better just to let nature take its course. And go, this is, might not pan out that well, but we can reflect on this piece. You know, and I think that's something that it, it probably is a, a strength and a little bit of a, a weakness at the same time if I, if I get it, if I do it with the wrong athlete. Um, you know, and I, I talk a, a lot less. So I'm more willing to delegate. I don't get as caught up in I have to be delivering the session. I, I, I don't, you know, I very much take more of a, a standoff approach. I like to observe everything that's, that's going on. I don't mind other people writing the content, delivering the sessions. Um, sometimes I feel I maybe have to do it more at certain points or I can see myself thinking, right, I actually need to get a little bit more involved in this and in, in the coaching process because, mm. you know, when taking a bit more of a, a bigger picture standpoint of it, when, you know, I know me and Shannon spoke and you said years ago about you can really only coach four swimmers at once if they're the real high profile. We, we don't really have the luxury of doing that. So I need to try and take a little bit of a different approach and creating an environment where, if you can get the athletes to understand it and you're explicit with it, then provided they've got the right, correct outlook and willingness, then they can really thrive in it. You know, and it's about passing that ownership over. But the danger is passing the ownership over to the athlete too young when they're not ready. You know, and that, that can really, that can be quite damaging both to them and to, to, to their progression. So you've always got to decide, this is quite a direct relationship with the athlete. And the other one is, no, that's quite autonomous. You know, the athlete's giving back. So you said it, Shannon, the, the, the further on you go with an athlete, the further up the bus you get punted until you're dragged <laughs> along the back. And I've never, I've not, not really felt I've been ever in that position, but you know, sometimes you're right up the back of the, right up the back of the bus. And it's a great place to be because you can just watch them, you know, taking control. And you know, it's, it's one area that, you know, I'm very, very comfortable with. Um, and, and delivering and how I, how I go about things. And, you know, I would like to observe, I like to watch, I like to listen, and then maybe intervene retrospectively. There's sometimes, and I know that I need to be aware of it, I need to interject beforehand because that could impact an important result. You know, I was very conscious of that going into the Olympics that beforehand I might just be like, all right, okay, I'll let that pass. Whereas now I'm like, no, no, right. You know, you grab them, right, listen, this is how it's going to be. 
Because sometimes we ask too many questions and we don't give enough answers. And sometimes what the athlete needs is the answer mm. because it's important. It's still trying to, oh, what do you think? No, no, no. This is what I'm seeing, right? This is how I'm observing it. This is what could happen. You know, and a lot of the time they'll thank you for it, but like, ah, okay. Because as coaches, we're always teasing out. Sometimes it's about putting in, you know, so it's that, that, that I'm probably thinking about a little bit more is when I need to, I need to actually just put in here. Mm. This is where you need to do this and actually just do it now. You know, and this is the way it needs done rather than always trying to get them to understand it because that can take, that can take time. Um, and that was one area before the Olympics I was quite conscious of that deliberate optimism and also and I find, act on instinct. Trust it. Because I've got a high level of expertise now. I'm still learning and I'm still young, but before I would doubt that now I'm like, no, no, I'm I'm right to trust my instinct and you know to act on my intentions. Like, right, okay, that's what I intend to do. So that's what I'm going to do. And um, I'd say that's probably where I'm at at the minute. Uh, mate, I love that answer. I um just as you were saying that, and especially when to interject and when to not, um, when we had state open, um, a couple of weeks ago, Shannon, I was, I was doing a warm up next to Dean Boxall. Now he didn't do this the whole time, but there was a swimmer who obviously didn't execute a part of the warm up that he was happy with. And he came over and he, he didn't give him a serve, but he said, no, we're going back and we're doing that again. Now, if you looked across the board, not everybody was doing that. Most coaches had a coffee in their hand and they had a stopwatch, but they're having a chat or, you know, just letting, as you said, the swimmers be autonomous and just go through the motions, which I'm sure for some swimmers, Dean does do that. But, um, but uh, that caught my attention that he was still very switched on to, hang on a second, no, no, that was, that's not what we want. Let's go back and we're going to do that again. I think Dean needs a coffee to keep his energy levels up because I've never seen anybody like that talking about side. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was definitely something to watch. Um, definitely, just you know, that's it. yeah, it's, it's like you, sometimes you trust them too much. Yeah, you think, oh, they've got it. And it's a big event. You forget, well, maybe they've just let it slip a little bit, and they need they need guidance. And even with a you know established world level. You know, swimmer like nah, they still sometimes appreciate just you sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and your knowledge with them and reminding them, um, and not just totally trusting that. Well, you know, they're really good, so surely they've they've got this. Mm. Um, you know, and that's where I've probably learned a little bit more is you know, you, when you you've got little kids, you do it all the time. Yeah, don't know enough, so I need to help them. And then as they get up, you're like, oh, okay, well, you know, you're so. You know, you. Do you know what you're doing? So, but yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. Yeah, yeah no. it's not a um, one size fits all. And some days, the you know, this is what makes it difficult, isn't it? Coaching and coaching at a very high level that um, some days they don't need you to talk, and other days they do need you to talk. And you've got to be able to pick those days. And you can say the right thing at the wrong time and it'll have no effect or you'll have the opposite, you know? So. All right, boys. Yeah. All right. Now, listen, um, I mean, it's all right for you, Steve, over there. It's about lunchtime for you, but 
you know, for, for us, it's, it's 11 o'clock. And again, I'll say, it's all right for Shannon. I think he gets to sleep in tomorrow morning, but I'm definitely back up at 4 a.m. and back on pool deck. So, mate, listen, it's been a pleasure um, to, to have you uh, on the show to, to pick your brain. For me personally, just to get back and sit and, and listen to you guys talk, um, I've got the best seat in the house. All the listeners get to, to do it, but I get to sit here and, and listen to you guys chat um, and, and so many insights. And, I'm, again, I'm writing stuff down as I go. So this is all professional development for me, Steve. I don't know if you realise that's the only reason I started the podcast, just to just further my own career. It's not that it's helping at the moment, mind you, but I'm, I'm trying my best, mate. I'm trying my best. <laughs> So, yeah, I just want to thank you for, mate, taking the time. Obviously, you're a busy man. You've got a lot going on. And um, thank you very much. I know Shannon appreciates you coming on for a chat as well. Yeah, no, thanks, Steve. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. I don't know if you can hear me. Yeah, we can. We got you. Can you? All right. My screen's not up. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. No, very good. to catch up. Yeah, no, absolutely. So... Uh, thanks, mate. Well, we've finished on a flat note there with a bit of bum networking, and I don't know if you stiff, 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 but it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll lift it up. Uh, thank you guys for joining us, the listeners, the podcast. Hopefully, once again, as we said, we've got something out of this week, and, and that's why we do the show. It's all professional development for all the coaches listening, and Steve's one of the best out there doing it today, so we're fortunate to have him uh, be a part of the show. Uh, join us again next week on the Shannon Rollison podcast, but until then, have a great weekend, and we'll see See you all next time. Thanks, everyone.